This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. This is a story called The V8 Morning. This story comes from my collection of short science fiction stories, or speculative fiction stories as they probably are, called A Day for Tigers, after a hard SF story in the middle of the book. Now, I wrote The V8 Morning some time ago, and I've had several goes at it, and uh, I still like the story, despite... (laughs) despite too many attempts at editing. But anyway, I'm now going to read it for you. And so here we go. But before I actually read you the story, I want to tell you sort of where it comes from. So in the spirit of attempting to demonstrate where inspiration has its roots, I'd like to tell you where the spark for this story came from. I live in a row of stone-built terraces, and when I'm sat in our small conservatory... I can look out across our postage-stamp-sized garden to a row of outbuildings. The roofs to these are covered in Virginia creeper and are wonderful to behold as it turns crimson in autumn. The roofs are capped off with flat, wide Yorkstone topping stones which catch the summer sun from late morning until early evening. I began to notice that a succession of cats would bask along the top of these warm stones and I, for one, could only envy them. One day, for a brief spell, there were two cats on there. Now, cats are usually very solitary creatures, but these two faced each other for a while, then sat down a distance apart, glancing at each other occasionally, as if waiting for the other one to make a move. I do remember that one was a warm-looking ginger cat, I honestly can't remember the other one now, but I began to wonder what they were saying to each other. Or maybe would have been saying if they were not cats, and just ordinarily weird, like you and I. The V8 Morning Watching from the corner of his eye, Arthur marvelled at her rigidity, took him far back into his memory the purse of her lips, the sight of her mouth set in grim determination of pearl one, plain two, and the way the crow's feet around her eyes fell as stress lines through age-metalled skin. She looked no different than she had for as long as he'd known her. Maybe even a little younger, for there was an air of anticipation in the slender lines of her mouth today, and the blue eyes above it were just so. The skin of her nose burned dark and flaking, as they all were since the ozone burn-off showed pink beneath. And in the way, her motor was always running. He smiled as he rocked gently on the sunshine shelf. You're looking at me again, she said. Arthur would have sworn her eyes never so much as flickered. So? 
So, so like I was an old truck or something. Oh, haven't thought about one of those for a long time, said Arthur. You're a liar, said Marie. Arthur locked his fingers together, cracked them quietly in the dark air and looked away. Marie pulled another yard off the ball of wool into the silence. The bright clatter of the needles began again. So why do you think I came here today? To listen, said Arthur, to an old man's lies by the sound of it. By the time she'd reached the sunshine shelf that morning, Arthur was already there. He'd reached down through the frost haze to help her over the last few crumbling blocks. Thought you weren't going to make it. Marie took a deep breath and hitched herself up onto the tumbled stone. You know I wouldn't miss today. He let go of her hand as soon as she was settled. Well, I know how it is. No, you don't, Marie snapped. She pulled up the dark leather bag beside her and popped the stud. I don't tittle-tattle about my family. Yes, you do, said Arthur. Marie reached inside the bag and pulled out a ball of pale, crinkly wool and two slender needles. Arthur narrowed his eyes at her. Well, only what's not important, she said. In the pale light she tied on the wall and spun it deftly around two fingers. The needles began to flash in her hands, a solitary insect chitter in the treeless dawn. Then how was it? said Arthur. Marie pulled a yard free from the ball in her lap. You know how it is, she said. In the space of a drawn breath, the horizon lit quietly with a thin strand of yellowish-green. Arthur leaned forward to peer, as if the act of leaning would bring it within reach of his failing sight. Marie changed direction, and the loop slid swiftly from the left needle onto the right. "'You're a wonderful old bugger,' she said. "'You know that?' Arthur tipped back his head to the stone behind him, opening his eyes to the last star. I wish you wouldn't do that, he said. The tiredness in his voice told Marie that he'd been awake most of the night, letting the darkness carry him into morning on its silent, remorseless carriage. Do what? Arthur waited until the black around the star had faded to palest blue. For a moment it seemed to brighten, then, as if a mist took it, it was gone. Oh, you know he said. I do know, said Marie, but it's one of those things I do because, she rounded on him then, needles bristling the air between them, because sometimes you shut yourself away in that old head, and because using plain words with you is like, like, like taking a stick to a tortoise. And it was also something to do with the way she felt about him, although she would never tell him that, and it gave him such a jolt every time she swore, but mostly it was just Fun. She allowed herself a glimpse of the dawn, then cast on again. You're a wonderful old bugger, she said. And you're the most provocational, irrational excuse for a woman I ever met. 
Arthur shrugged his coat around his shoulders, fastening the top button. And for once, can you stop that interminable knitting? Marie smiled to herself. No, she said. Arthur took the ball of wool from her lap and threw it down the stone pile. Marie watched as the wool bounced cleanly from each one, unravelling and billowing pale in the thin morning air. I take back the wonderful, she said. What did you do that for? I don't need it today, said Arthur. The needles, I mean, clicking and clacking away like there were still insects in the world, making me remember things like, like old trucks, said Marie. Yes, snapped Arthur, like old trucks. Marie pursed her mouth. This time the crow's feet skewed, bending under the thrust of a dark humour within. She pulled back a yard of wool from the clinging stone, and the needles resumed their bright wing chitter. How many times have you knitted that wool? said Arthur. But you can't tell me that. Seven, said Marie. First it was a cardigan, factory made. She rummaged in the depths of her bag. Still have the label somewhere. Oh, never mind. She sat up straight and pushed the bag along the broken stone wall. Found it in a basement. Up against the castle wall, dark blue, pearl buttons. Then it was a jumper for Stephen, but he soon grew out of it. Let's see. She paused a moment thinking into the silence as if holding back the dawn with her breath. She let it go in a rush. Leggings for Jamie, bodice for Laura, pullover for Stephen. Without the sleeves there was enough wool for the body. Don't know how she's grown in that big on what we have to eat. Then it was a shawl for me. Enough, said Arthur, enough. But why knit today? Shouldn't today be different? Marie breathed in something of the surrounding darkness and somehow lightening the mood between them. At that moment, the sun seeped pale over the horizon, pushing the black shades and depths of blue behind the broken shoulders of cut stone and fallen buttresses into the land that once was. She exhaled, her breath curling the cool air with its silver mist. Different? The needles fell silent in her hands, and she rested them in her lap for a moment. If we were to do something different, she said, it would mean that what we've had these last years was just a sort of waiting game, waiting for the old ways to come back. She shuddered and pulled at the wall again, as if once wasn't enough. Don't you see that? The needles resumed their chafing as she quickly looped the yarn around the end. She poked one stitch and stopped again. Arthur sat silent, feeling defeated and lost against the cool expanse of sandstone beneath his withered old thighs. He reached down and pulled the yarn back for her. But there are things I wish for, he said. Like an old truck, said Marie. Arthur nodded slowly in the deep desert chill, searching through the bright, stilled needles in his head and finding only frustration amongst worn-out old reasons and past ridicule. 
I don't see why I should feel any shame in that, he said at last. And why should you, said Marie. Well, you just said ways, said Marie. I was talking about ways. All trucks is a thing. But you said... Arthur took the look of her face and retreated. I never did understand your preoccupation with the damn things anyway, said Marie. Arthur placed his hands beside him on the cold stone. Gripping the edge, he rocked silently back and forth, feeling the compacted sand tug hard against his skin. He stopped, his eyes fast to the east, where the bow of golden light crested the horizon. The growing light patchwork the land with midnight hollows, appearing and disappearing as randomly as the holes in the long road of his memory. The sun's arc picked out the expanse of broken stone around them in its glow. Dust motes lifted silently from the collapsed profusion of pinnacles, solid oak rafters, needles and purlins. Shadows haunted the faces of dry-mouthed, shattered gargoyles. For what might have been the thousandth time, Arthur held out his hands and began to explain. You see, he said. The sun flickered through his fingers, staining them gold and black. This is where a truck begins. Smiling in quiet self-satisfaction, Marie pulled back another yard. The rising click of the needles served only to bait the tortoise further. It it could have sat out there in the street all day, said Arthur. He studied his fingers, minutely creased the swollen joints one by one. But without these fingers, it was nothing. It takes a man to work a truck. What time is it? asked Marie. It's scheduled for twelve. No, she said, scolding him gently. What time is it now? Oh, hold on, said Arthur. He looked around for the metal bar they'd pried loose so long ago the day was now lost in the empty garage of his mind. He slotted it into the hole worn patiently in the stone beside them and studied the dial scratched into the surface. Oh, make it about six o'clock. Marie looked down to the foot of the mound and assessed the size of the ball of yarn. She slipped the needles into one hand while the fingers of the other pried loose the top three buttons of her jacket, leaving the rest secure against a sudden dust from a quick early breeze. Trucks, she said. As I was saying, said Arthur, he held up his hands once more. Without these. Marie closed her eyes. This would keep him going for around two hours and the needles clicked gently to the remembrance of her fingers. Three or four days ago, on a morning just like this one was set to be, Jamie and Stephen had glistened like nuggets in the sun. Sweat-lacquered and young inside their golden skin, they'd loaded the last things onto the cart. Marie had watched them flex without creasing, bend without feeling the tendency to break. Perhaps things would be different, after all. 
but not until tomorrow. Laura had hugged arms around her from behind. Mom, this is the last chance. We can't wait any longer. Then you better get going, said Marie. Looking up, she shaded her eyes to see the dust plume wavering the western horizon. It had been there all afternoon. There are others over there, she said. If you get off now, you'll catch their tail. They'll know where it's safe. We had cousins in Southall. Try there, but don't use my married name. Someone might remember. But, Mom, go, said Marie. She hugged each one in turn, and then they left. The children silent, their faces damp and drying in the heat of the day. Marie had watched them for a few minutes until she was sure they could no longer see the lines of her face, the fold of her eyes, the crumple of her mouth, then went inside. The needles busied and chittered for an age until they fell quite still. Sleeping jacket for Laura. Arthur jerked back from a horizon where the sun was high, the road ran straight for ever, and the tarmac was hot and singing with tyres in the morning heat. What? What? Oh, 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 I see. The gearbox of his mind shifted slowly down. He began to crawl along beside her, mentally pacing, like slow traffic. That's six, said Marie. How was it when they left? said Arthur. You didn't ever say. Marie pulled another yard back. The loose end trailed up the first step and curled itself around like a cat's tail in the sunlight. Ever thought there might be a reason for that? she said. Yes, said Arthur, but it never stopped you before, and if today's not about different, then I think I've every reason to expect an answer. Sometime. He stood in the metal bar, where it poked from its dial in the flat stone. And sometimes soon. Oh, you know how it is, said Marie. Yes, said Arthur. I think I do. No, you don't, said Marie. You're just guessing like always. Arthur screwed up his eyes to watch the sun climb the inevitable blue wall of sky. They tried a lot of things, he said. Reminded you of things you never knew you'd forgotten, just to convince you to go with them. He closed his eyes and drifted back against the carved stone. They waxed your importance to their life like it was a new car. The needles fell silent as Marie stopped to listen. They took the lines from your face and reminded you of how you'd earned each and every one, Arthur said. Polished them out, they did, one at a time, and when that didn't work, they took a handful of leather and buffed your pride until you didn't know you were made of such reflection. He smiled behind closed eyes, watching with the sun in his face listening to the air with his tongue, tasting the growing heat in the sharp stone smell of the desert. Until you shone, he said, like a great and priceless carriage. He opened his eyes then and turned towards her, blinking in the new light. And what did you do? 
The needles picked up their beat again in the growing sun. Marie held her face straight as a poker, hitched up another yard and watched the end uncoil lazily to climb another step. I told them, she said, that at my age I was only fit to be a hearse. Closing her eyes, a laugh, silent and honest, caught her throat. It took hold of Arthur like a spark and they sat slowly rocking on the sunshine shelf until there was nothing left of the sound but the tears streaming down their faces. In the small introspective quiet that followed, Marie's hand reached across the stone between them and touched upon his. I was married here, she said, in a small chapel off the south transept. I know that, said Arthur. Shush, said Marie. I was reminding myself. Arthur undid the last button on his ragged jacket. He stared out, watching the dust flick and spin amongst the ruins of the lower city, feeling its silk in every fold of his skin. I never went to Horncastle but once. Too late now to go again, said Marie. So it makes it all the more improbable, said Arthur, still watching the desert as if something of interest might take place amongst the sand. That, that there's a man out there. Marie hitched up another yard. What's he thinking, said Arthur. I mean, right now, what is he thinking? Probably looking at that button right now, said Marie. The needles held silent and still for a moment as her mind's eye saw the unlocked button as a hammer with a dull square metal head and slender shaft of whitened wood. He's probably looking at it and wondering how heavy it's going to feel at that moment. Wonder if he's picked it up, said Arthur. Pick what up? That hammer you're thinking about, he said. How do you know what I'm thinking about? Arthur smiled and held up his arms as if the hands gripped the steering wheel of a long-forgotten truck. Marie shrugged her shoulders and tied off the row. Many times, she said. He's picked it up and weighed it in his mind. Swung it a time or two just to get the balance, then... He looked at it again and put it down, not quite believing. But what's he thinking, said Arthur. He creased his brow, trying to project himself into the mind of a man alone out there and unprotected in the heat of the desert. How does he see it? The needles clicked slowed as she cast back onto the left. The end of an age, said Marie. Probably feels responsible too. For God's sake, Marie! She jumped at his unaccustomed use of her name. He only drove a truck. Makes him no less a part of it, said Marie. In fact, quite fitting in a way. He only feels responsible because you made him feel that way, snapped Arthur. Leastways, people like you. People like me, said Marie. 
She hitched up another yard. Let's see. You mean people that spent 30 years hiding in holes? People that watched their children's children born with bits missing or God placed on the wrong end? And people that had to give up all the things that made life what they thought it was? For God's sake yourself, Arthur, what wouldn't you give for another car? Or an old truck? She rummaged in the bag beside her. Almost forgot. Brought you something. She placed a small bundle in his hand. The rag was damp with oil and had a small piece of familiar yarn tied around it. Arthur undid it carefully. Inside were two keys bright with chrome. Attached to them was a black plastic fob with Ford enamelled across it. 08 Galaxy, said Marie, watching the growing intensity of his face. V8, three-litre, six-speed, seven-seater. Arthur stared at her in amazement. Dark blue metallic paint, she said. Arthur held the keys to his forehead, letting the metal seep into his skin and from there through to his brain, igniting his imagination. Hide seats in lemon, said Marie. Don't tell me, said Arthur. Let me feel it. Marie watched him from the corner of her eye. Electric windows. Stop it, said Arthur. Stop it. Power roof. No, please, he said. Just let me. She took the needles more firmly under her arms. Independent all-round suspension. Please, said Arthur. Four-wheel drive. No. Traction control. Limited slip differential. Oh. I give up, said Arthur and handed back the keys. You see, said Marie, it's no good, is it? You've been hanging on to the wrong things. This is a day for letting go. Just tell me one thing, said Arthur. Was it really yours? Bought it here in Lincoln, she said. She took up the keys in one brown hand and threw them as far as she could across the sand. I kept it right up to GZ Day. Came out from the hole weeks after, and there was just so much twisted and burned metal it was impossible to tell if it was even there. And if it had been mine, I couldn't ever have told you which part of it was mine, so I decided to forget it. She shrugged almost imperceptibly. But Arthur could see that it had marked a change in her thoughts. The keys, he said. You kept them. Marie ignored him, a curious look taking her face as she sacrificed another button to the growing heat. How do you afford it? asked Arthur. Times were difficult, even before. I had good work, she said. Arthur's thoughts drifted away from the sharp edges of her reply, and safely back to the man with the hammer. Hope you'll be all right, he said. He smiled inwardly, feeling his place in this now more than ever, and that was fitting too, on this the day of the last bomb. The one it seemed no one left alive either wanted or knew how to take apart. Who? said Marie. Her eyes followed his then out across the sand. Oh, sure, he's a lucky one. 
She pulled up another yard and settled the needles. Ever been mad at them? she asked. Mad at who? replied Arthur. His eyes were focused upon a spot it was impossible for him to see fifteen miles across the dry Lincolnshire desert. Jesus, said Marie, who else is there to be mad at in this whole leftover bedraggled world? The people who made the bombs, of course. But they're all dead, said Arthur. Don't you think that's a waste of good emotion? Marie lowered the knitting to her lap and peered out over the sun-blasted walls where there lay some empty drains and dikes, remembering them flashed with ice over dark water or green with algae and bright, quick, livid with fish. There's one left, she said. He only drove a truck, replied Arthur. Marie's eyes fell dark and hooded by the overhead sunlight, but all the same, she said, for it to work, someone had to drive a truck. I drove a truck, said Arthur. Different kind of truck. You don't know that, said Arthur, turning to read the sundial beside him. It's 11.30, and I didn't always know what was in the truck. You knew what it wasn't, though, she said, didn't you? You knew it wasn't bombs and such. Hmm. I suppose so. Arthur held the metal stick up straight, the heat from it burning his fingers and making them dance along its length. Maybe 11.40, he said. But it might have been parts. I wouldn't know if there were parts. They might have said they were tractor parts or something. The trouble with parts, said Marie, is you can learn how to put them back together again. That's why we have to make sure there's none left. But you didn't know, and that is the difference. For God's sake, Marie, he's only an old truck driver. Let him go at last. I suppose you're right, said Marie. We all know what old truck drivers have for brains. Still, I envy him in a way. It's like ringing in the new year. Remember that? Arthur stared into the mound of cast-down rubble around him, thinking of the time when the years hadn't all been just the same, and all this old stone was stacked up vertically into the twin towers of God's house on top of Lincoln Hill. And sometimes it had been cold, and there had been bells enough for everyone to ring. I think, said Marie, he should take... All of that anger we couldn't learn to get shot of. And wind it into this old arm of his. She lifted her clenched fist high into the air. I bet it's strong, said Arthur. I bet it's still full of sinew and muscle from lugging that old truck around. Blowing her fist, Marie bounced his arm lightly with it. He'll swing down that hammer for all of us, she said. And ring in the newest year. The final yard of yarn crept over the top step as the needles broke the silence that followed her words. Arthur opened his mouth to speak, then closed it again. There really was nothing much to say. Marie was right. Today was a day for holding on to what you'd come to believe in and wearing it like an overcoat packed ready and warming for the long winter not for wondering about other people, 
and key. And keys! And suddenly, the taste of fuel, hidden all these years where he least expected it, filled his mouth. He searched his brain for the quick cognitive spark he knew was there. The explosion that followed flooded his thoughts, depressing the piston of his tongue, cranking out the hollow-boned connecting rod of his arm to make one crooked finger point across the sand. Hey! he said. The keys spat harsh sunlight back at him. And he laughed out loud at their bright, useless fire, forty years dead, that still dared to splash the dark crevices of the lower ranks of stone and light their shard crystals of stained glass. He sat back, laughter and surprise, exhausted. All this time, he said, all this time of torment and shame, and you are no different to me. He fiddled with the metal stick again. In the creak of steel wearing away at stone, he found a reassurance in the thought that nothing lasts forever. He pulled it from the stone and threw it down amongst the rubble. It's almost time, he said. Two or three minutes, no more. Think it'll work, she said. It has to, said Arthur. They leaned back together against the cascade of arches, pillars and parapets behind them. Arthur squinted up at the sun, just by way of reminding himself who and where he was. Marie stared east across the veil-turned desert to where she knew there was a man consumed in this moment by a righteous anger and fear. She could feel the weight of the hammer of her own heart and knew that by her own hand she was as guilty as the man who drove the truck, if only because all she had done was stand and watch others turning screws, connecting wire tracers to slickly machined parts, and all under her direction. "'Why didn't you go with them?' said Arthur. I want it to be different, she said. I don't want us to go back around rotating history like it was some scuff mark on the rim of an old truck tyre. But different won't happen unless I'm out of the way. Arthur nodded her attention towards the horizon, although nothing new had appeared. Too late to worry about that, he said. He lifted his arm to run his fingers through the slender dark bars of his hair, sand sifting gently from the upturned cuff of his sleeve. Today's the day the wheel comes off. And before it does, she said, you'd better remind me how it all went. Arthur cracked his swollen knuckles one hand at a time. Out of habit, Marie stopped him. Her fingers deftly removed the last rose from the needles, and she laid them carefully aside as if they were the last insect in the world, as if, as if they were fragile things, like this man who sat beside her because he didn't know where else he could be today, and who couldn't ever forget the smell of petrol and oil. And perhaps at that last moment there might just be a whiff again of chemical 
enough to keep him happy for all eternity. Beyond the fallen stone and cruciform shadows and the keys that lay twisted in the sun, a rose blossomed, white and pale. Close your eyes, snapped Arthur. Against her better instinct, Marie obeyed. The ring of light passed through them and kept on going beyond the ruins and the caravans of people making their way still over the horizon. It's all right now, said Arthur. That part has passed. They opened their eyes to see a mushroom cloud that stained the huge, tumultuously cathedral sky. Marie's fingers tied off the last of the yarn and stretched out the material, pulling it quickly into shape. A first touch of a final breeze glanced her cheek, bringing with it the faint scent of burning sand, somehow mixed with the tang of exploded petrochemicals. She turned to look at Arthur, who was already tasting the air, drawing it into his lungs and savouring something of another age. She watched his face as his thoughts turned finally inward. A suspicious thought, struggling for the last hour to clear the thicket of his mind, surfaced into sharp clarity. Suddenly he peered at the keys as if seeing them again for the first time. You! Shush! said Marie. And the sound of her voice softened the furrowed frown on his face. Leaning over, her trembling fingers lovingly wrapped the scarf around his neck and took the ends into the open V of his shirt. Here, she said, there's going to be a wind today. Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a... From Nelly. Goodbye.